Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. And it's officially tough bitch season over here on this Tuesday. (laughs) Where did tough bitch season come from? The fact that it's one degree Fahrenheit outside and snowing. And it's that time of year where it's just like hard to get outside. Uh It's cold. We're in the doldrums of winter. It's a lot. But you got to give credit where credit's due. Who came up with tough bitch season? Okay, that was you. That's okay. that's very fair because you went outside and you ran in it yesterday. I did, but where it really originated was in my bike workout on Saturday. I'm coming oh, back true. from a little knee yeah. injury and I finished my first 11 minute interval and it seemed impossible to do anymore. And then you know what I thought? What? Megan, the ultimate tough bitch <laughs> yeah. would do it and not complain. And so I did it and I didn't complain. And then my body actually rebounded pretty well. And I decided that 2024 just not even going to think about it. I'm just going to be a tough bitch. You crushed it. Do you think it was extra hard? Because I came downstairs. I was very excited about your workout. So I came downstairs uh-huh. to capture this on video. I was I was pumped. And your watts went up like 20 to 25 <laughs> and in the first rep. And it dawned on me. It was yeah. like, oh, darn. I really should have come down in like the third rep as opposed to like, I don't know, elevating your watts in the first yeah. rep and potentially like ruining the rest of the workout. It's kind of like when you see a race photographer. Like every single time I see them, I'm like, all right, now I'm going to run with perfect form. <laughs> great speed and all of a sudden I do a stride in the middle of the race you know same but it never ends up well for me I'm like this looks so beautiful and then the photos come back and there's just like goo and stuff and my arms are all over the place and it's a disaster my self-perception is totally different than every race photo I've ever seen same you know I really believe in my form and my stride and then it's atrocious it's so bad (laughs) I've had some race photos that could be sold for like I don't know, museums of horrors. <laughs> it's so bad. But when you were taking the video, I was like, all right, this might be on Instagram. Put out a few more watts for that Instagram audience. And yeah, it did push me over the threshold. My bike fitness is just coming around because I, you know, doing my winter biking now and wasn't quite ready for it, but I rebounded. I finished the intervals and I'm channeling this energy, not just on the bike, not just in freezing weather, but also yesterday when you were on doing a webinar, you were hosting a webinar um, for the Women's Running Coaching Collective. I cleaned and I was just like, this is tough bitch behavior because I'm cleaning right now. I was shocked. It was also tough bitch behavior because you leveled up and took down our Christmas tree. I did. So one of our, like, we don't really argue. Actually, we do. We have a fair number of arguments, but one of our most recent arguments was the fact that I wanted to take down the Christmas tree and you went into full scale mode. You're like, yeah. don't do this. Not allowed. And I was like, dude, we're like middle of January and you apparently wanted it up all year round. Well, I've said this before. We can have other trees. They don't just need a Christmas tree. We can have a Martin Luther King day tree. That would be amazing. Yet, I mean, just believe in the dream. Megan. Okay, you got me. I, I think that's like the one reason I would keep the tree up. Okay. So we did we did miss that boat. But you know what? It's really nice not to have a massive tree in our living room. Yeah. Well, I cleaned it. It's big, tough bitch energy. And that's the energy we're bringing to the podcast today. I'm so excited for this episode. We are going through our topics and it's just hitter, 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 like amazing, amazing, amazing over and over and over again. We actually had to move the science topic lower today because like, there's too many other things we want to get into. There is so much goodness going on. I'm actually really excited that we've restructured and rearranged because there's like hot topic after hot topic after sexy science and sexy science. And it's been fun to see it coming out. Yeah. So let's get into the roadmap. Uh, we're going to talk about some big life changes. Very exciting. Boom, boom, boom. I feel like when you say that, you need some sort of sound effect. Megan is not pregnant. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I wish. Thank God. I know. We have totally different mindsets. If I was pregnant, I'd be so excited. You'd be, you'd be dreading it a little bit. <laughs> We're not, not trying to get pregnant. I get my precious, precious watts. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, then talk about health and performance via blood values. Um, this relates back to the anxiety discussion that I had the other week. Um, talk a little bit about testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin, teeing that topic up for next week. Uh, talk about a question on running surfaces, then zone one versus zone two training. UTMB boycott news, sexy, sexy, sexy stuff there. Ultra runner of the year voting. We have some hot takes. Uh, the long-term benefits of endurance training. That gets into some really, really cool um, things about genetics and the proteome. And then talk about news and fun things, including new tech plus hot takes. Okay. Usually you have this like grand vision of where we're going. And I'm like, we're going to get to half of this. But yeah. you know what? We better get to all of it because there's some good stuff in here. It's so, so good. And we're going to start with the best piece of news of all. Megan, big life changes. What are you doing right now? Yeah, it's kind of wild. So I had my last day of work at Stanford on Friday. And I've been there for 10, 10, almost 11 years now, which is pretty wild. And, you know, I felt like it was my calling of time to move on and try new things. I think when I went into this PhD these last couple of years, my vision was never to be in academia. And I think now it's time to like go on and try something else but it was very hard it was yeah. it was on friday it was i my last meeting i cried i was like this oh. is really hard i like planned this whole like elaborate like thank you yeah and then of course i was just like crying and like barely getting a few words out but uh no yeah it's time to move on well the work you've done at stanford has been so important um particularly in female athlete research and i think that workout work will continue on yes yeah and i plan to have it continue on i have some ideas yeah, yeah not just for you but also for stanford i yes, think you yeah. left this legacy there that'll be really really great but what are the feelings that it elicits in you right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like excitement, like I am actually truly excited. I have some ideas. I I definitely want to start something ahead. And so I'm excited for that. Excited. I've, I mean, I've been there so long that I've never actually like rolled out a vision for myself of things that I want to do. Like we've had swap as a side hustle, but I feel like largely I've been in this like broader academic environment for so long. Yeah. And I'm excited to like have a little bit more creative energy and try something. But also, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, I think, you know, I've had so many amazing mentors and people there. And also it's like a very straightforward track, Uh which is nice. And I think for a while I thought like, it would be hard, like someone asks you at a dinner party what you do. And now yeah. my answer is much more convoluted and different than it yeah, once definitely. was of like, oh, I'm a researcher at Stanford. But I feel like I'm ready for that change in ego and change in, you know, how I describe things. Yeah. And maybe we just don't go to dinner parties. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's the good. answer. Yes. <laughs> it's like, hi, Susan. I make dick jokes on a podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah. That is my profession. And you know what? I own that. Yeah. It's interesting. It's cool. It's different. It's unique. And so I think I'm I'm excited for new things. Well, ahead. all of your mentors you know, took you in as a baby bird. I know. And now they've taught you to fly, (laughs) regurgitated (laughs) protein sources into your mouth and you're ready to fly the coop, right? You're you're ready to go, you know, spread your wings. And I'm so excited to see it. I know you have ideas. No, you're not, maybe not talking about them on the podcast today. I know. I want to see where they, I have ideas. I haven't actually put anything into fruition yet, but I want to expand. I don't know how to say that. We're going to expand on female athlete work, expand on swap. And I'm excited for where it's going to go. But actually what you just said about flying, flying my wings Uh and going on my way reminds me, I texted a friend when I was done on my last day and it was a picture of Moana voyaging on in her boat to new adventures. And then you reminded me, I hadn't thought of this. Moana goes back. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh shit, what did I just do? Hopefully I'm not manifesting something. I think Moana is a classic example of Joseph Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. (laughs) And in the hero's journey, the hero has to leave home. Yes, yeah. And that's where I'm so proud of you. Like you have to leave home. And Stanford has felt like home. I mean, I think actually one of the hard parts is I'm not in the Bay Area. Yeah. And I think if this converse, this conversation would be different for me if I was living in the Bay Area and really like had a lab at Stanford or was like working towards a professor role at Stanford. But me being remote, I just feel like I've really tapped out like yeah. my learning and growth and development and I'm excited for something. And you're new. ready to expand those horizons. I uh, know. I'm excited. What is the line? 
See the line where the sky meets the sea? It calls me and no one knows. That's exactly how I feel. How far I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so excited. I can't wait to be uh, on this journey. I hope there'll be a little tailwind to continue the Moana thing. I'll just be in in that movie, which is amazing. Everyone should watch Moana, even if you don't have kids. Um, We've watched it probably... 97,000 times <laughs> yeah, in the last year. It's Leo's comfort mo- um, movie to an extent that's actually kind of it's awkward. It's a little scary. I'm like, yeah. what did we do to him by allowing him to watch this so many times? He didn't imprint onto me or Megan. He imprinted <laughs> onto Moana. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what that does to a kid's personality, but it's interesting. But it's a great movie. Um, and in that movie, the ocean guides her to a certain extent. And I'm going to try to be Maybe maybe the ocean's giving me too much credit, but I'm gonna try to keep you on the boat. <laughs> oh, you're for sure the ocean. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like you're the best life tailwind. Actually, I made this decision. So this I decided to make this change in early December. And so yeah. I had I was like four to five weeks I stayed on to help transition and kind of think of things. But it was truly actually your race in Arizona. Interesting. Yeah, your 50 mile race where I was there and I had so much work for I was like coaching and podcasting yeah. and doing the Stanford research and trying to train and compete. And it just it was, it, I realized that it was too much. And I felt like your life force was Aww. so amazing there. And I, I don't think I could do this without you. Well, you, you said I'm like the ocean. You know what they say. What? It's not about the size of the boat. It's about that motion <laughs> in the ocean. Okay, you got real good motion in the ocean. <laughs> and you got a good boat too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You got it all. Everyone, take up that clip. Um, but I'm so proud of you. And to everyone out there, I think the lesson in something I'm endlessly inspired with you on is that you're able to take these leaps and know when it's time to take another leap. Yeah. Um, that sometimes the process of taking a leap is not, you don't end up where you're going to be it just shows you the next step and the next step and the next step. And so you've done that throughout our relationship, throughout our lives, this podcast being an example of that. And now I think, you know, you wouldn't be taking this leap if it weren't for the things that the podcast has brought us, the thing that Patreon has brought us mm-hmm. and all oh, of that. So, so grateful for it. I'm yeah. so proud of you. Well, it's also, I'm always curious too. It's like, I kind of knew. So when I graduated my PhD, I, we had a six month old Leo was six months at that time. And I knew that academia wasn't my final spot to be. Yeah. And I kind of felt like I was in this holding pattern because I knew I had a leap ahead, but I was in this position where I wasn't making those leaps. And I feel, I feel really free now knowing yeah. that there's that leap ahead. But you know what's amazing? What? Okay. So one of my like scary thoughts about making this leap was I was going to lose library access. Uh-huh. And we do so much science on this podcast. I was like, I need access to all these journal articles. But you know what? What? HR and admin granted it to me. Oh my God. I got extended like six months to a year extended library access, which they almost never do. I was like, thank you. This is the best gift. Do you think by saying it on the podcast, they might rescind it? I hope not. (laughs) If so, we're going to have to get creative. I was already, I was like staying up at night thinking about that. I was like, how are we going to access journal articles? We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll hack into the (laughs) I'll I'll complete teach myself computer coding and become like an international <laughs> refugee to get access to the European Journal of Applied Physiology. So much better than paying $60 a month. Yeah. But I mean, final little thing is just, you know, the island you were on, the Moana analogy, um, <laughs> is comfortable, right? It's great. It's paradise in oh, its yeah. own way. And it was also really easy. It was this concrete thing. I'm a researcher at yeah. Stanford and it has totally shifted now. And I'm actually, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Everyone out there, leave the island. Oh yeah. See what happens. Yeah. But do so when you're ready. Like it, it, yeah, I no, wasn't. No, Megan, don't couch it. Leave, you want to go before you're ready. Leave, yeah, yeah, you got yeah. to. You're never going to be ready. Yeah. The island's always going to seem like the place you should stay. And you've taught me that. And I want to just emphasize the message that you really lived. And, you know, even if it feels really scary in the moment. So. 
fuck yeah. High five. High five. Well, we're doing a lot of ocean and boat analogies for people who are frankly scared of the ocean. Yes. <laughs> the ocean terrifies me. I'm a horrible swimmer. So uh, I like these analogies, but I'm like, oh, I'm a little scared of the ocean. There's sharks in there, Megan. I know. I watched Jaws at a young age. It's like, <laughs> nope. Not even oceans. I go into a lake and I'm like, there is something down there. And I'm oh, not same. Okay with that. Actually, lakes are even worse than oceans, I feel like. Yeah. There's, I, what do you, what's down there? Oh, that's the, that's like the mystery. It's scary and they're dark. Yeah. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Okay. Um, on to some health stuff that's pretty interesting. So we talked a little bit about um, some of the anxiety feelings I was having um, the other week. And yeah, how are those feeling? So much better. Yeah. So much better. Um, really improving the physical manifestations of it and, and the mental side. But Does it feel like a party? I know sometimes when that's happened to me, it's like the best. Actually, sometimes I actually just get very tired. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like having those emotions, it's like this heightened state. It's great for like productivity and things like that. And then when it leaves, I'm like, how can I exist yeah. to do anything? Well, as an introvert, when you say something feels like a party, it's actually an insult. To that <laughs> that's true. Yes. Yeah. So what it feels like is sitting at home on the couch alone, <laughs> eating uh, ice cream and watching Milan. Oh, that's sounds delightful. Um, so it does feel way better. But one of the things that we wanted to do and, and something to think about for everyone's journey is when I was going through this, Megan was first like, all right, we need to get you blood tested. We need to figure out what's going on under the hood so that we can fully address all of the mental emotional side of it. Um, because all of this is interconnected, right? Like um, it gets back to the tailwind discussion. Uh, yes, the mental health context is independent of the physical for the most part, but the physical can either be a tailwind or a headwind. And I think we suspected that I might be facing a headwind for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, so I went and got my blood tested. High five. Yeah, that's as good as you leaving Stanford. Was I a tailwind on that? Because you've had this like fear of getting your blood tested and you know what? You stepped up and did it. I did. Uh, yes. You're a tailwind. You're really you know, confident, courageous. Also, Mary at uh, Quest in Boulder. Oh, she's the so kind. People probably know who, if you live in Boulder, you know who she is. Okay, so I went in to Safeway to get my blood taken. I am deathly afraid of this. I've only had my blood taken one other time, and it was last year. Um, <laughs> and I go in, Mary sees it's an inside tracker panel. And she's just like, oh, I'm seeing inside tracker all the time. Uh, just sit down. You've got this. What are you planning ahead? Did you tell her you were scared? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. First thing. Yeah. I, yeah, You're honestly, like, I'm on an island right now. I need to get on this boat. I, but I buttered her bread so much because <laughs> yeah. one, I have heard she's amazing. And two, I'm like, my life is in your hands right now. <laughs> Literally every single fear I've ever had, I'm giving to you on a platter and I'm in a period of anxiety. So this is a pretty rough time. Um, so it has been fascinating. I actually got my results back that afternoon. I know. I was surprised. You were, I, you were like, I have my results back. And I was like, bullshit. Yeah. And you did. I think I buttered her bread so well that she's like, we're just going to put this bread in the oven right now. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. Um, so really interesting experience. Before we get into that, um, just briefly, Inside Tracker was awesome for this process. Like we're we're not officially like partnering with them or anything, but do want to have give you all the option if you want to use it. So we're not getting any kickback from this. This is just a discount code. It's purely because we like it. I and mean, we actually I think it's actually beneficial for athletes to have this information and have this and knowledge. The data, the data visualization. Oh, it's is beautiful. Unique. So it's, we'll get into yes, that in yeah. a second. They they provide just really interesting um, perspectives that you don't get on traditional blood tests. So use code SWAP SWAP. Uh, you'll get twenty percent off there. Or more importantly, if you join our Patreon and message us directly, we have an extra special discount code that we've been giving exclusive access to, which will pay for a year's supply of the WooHoo tier. So uh, you can message us there if you want to use this for an extra special discount code that's even more. Um, but the results came back right away and they showed some really interesting things. Let's start out on the good things. Is that okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll always start out on the good things. Okay. Yes, yeah. I want to give myself a bat on the back. <laughs> yeah. um, so we talk on this podcast a lot about hemoglobin mass. A lot of the interventions I do from heat acclimation to ketones to iron, all of this is designed to improve hemoglobin mass. 
And my hemoglobin mass is so good, it's actually somewhat dangerous. I know. Actually, I was going to say, is this a good thing? Or is this, yeah. I, should I be waking you up in the middle of the night? Because of this <laughs> hemoglobin mass, it was so high. Yeah. Are you going to give a number? Yeah, you should. of course. Yeah. Uh, just full transparency. It was 17.5, which is too high. Um, but you know, I'm going to stop taking iron. <laughs> it's, it's a little, little much. Um, and you have a history of high hemoglobin in your family, like your whole family tracks these values. Leo or through actually, my mom's side. Yes. Leo has actually had high hemoglobin. Leo yeah. was in like the 99th percentile of hemoglobin. His, our pediatrician was like, wow, this is high. Yeah. So it shows, you know, some of the genetic, uh, and you know, factors involved here. I, I do know from 23andMe that I have one ver- gene variant for hemochromatosis, not both. Theoretically, it shouldn't impact blood vo- values too much, but clearly it does. So I need to be careful there, but those are very good oxygen processing numbers. Uh, one of the interesting things that maybe will follow in the future is if ketone, post-exercise ketones, doing that once or twice per week, had some impact on it. Because as we talked about on the a Science Corner like four or five episodes ago, they theoretically improve red blood cell production. And for me, clearly something happened. Uh, the number went up substantially even from last year. What was it last year? Remind me. 16.7. Yeah. Well, it's still really high. It's still really high, but, but there's also And there's a lot of variation in hemoglobin and hematocrit values based off of different things like hydration status, exercise, stress, so many different things. And I think 16.7 to 17.5 is within the realm of some of those factors. And yeah. certainly ketones may come into play, but I, I wouldn't necessarily jump at that and be like, that's this like huge increase from one clear intervention. I see. Stanford is letting you spread your wings <laughs> and you're using them just to clap me in the face. I'm using them to, slap me. to be a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling so empowered no, with my wings. I agree. And you know, just a reminder, hemoglobin mass is important. Really think about your iron levels. Like, even if you're not doing full testing like inside tracker, um, it's really important to get this dialed in. Um, and you can get really simple tests via Quest or anything else that just measure this variable. And if that's all you do, you're going to get valuable um, information. And now, do you want to go to the bad thing? Well, let's go to the other good thing oh, first. Oh, yes, I did another good thing. Yes, they have inner age calculations, yes. which are very cool. And you're crushing it. I am. Okay, so my inner age, which Inside Tracker uses all these different variables, and each one like knocks you down a peg or cr- increases you. So there's like 16 or 17 different variables based off of your blood work. You can also enter- A percentile relative per- yes. to their entire um, test cohort, which at this point is pretty big. And my inner age is- Three years younger than my actual age. You were 32.9. Yes. And guess what I was? 32.8. <laughs> I slid in on a technicality. But you're two years younger. I know. Well, actually, as I was like reviewing these results all morning, for whatever reason, I thought I was 32. Yeah. I'm actually 33. And I was like, damn, I'm older than my expected well, age. Even with pregnancy, down a little bit, which is good. Yes. But most significantly, last year, I was 35.8 on that. Yes. So I'm aging in reverse like Benjamin Button over <laughs> yeah, here. Look at you. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. Okay, now let's go on to the bad things um, because I think that this is really relevant to everyone. A little mini science discussion that we're going to get into much more detail next week. Um, so little my inflammation markers, particularly cortisol, a little bit elevated. It makes sense with the stress I was feeling. Yes. Yeah. It's inter- actually interesting. It's kind of a which direction is it? Like stress itself can cause elevated cortisol. Sometimes like underlying inflammation could cause elevated cortisol, which then can actually cause stress. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, okay, what's the directionality on this? But I think it makes a lot of sense based off of what you were feeling. Yeah. Or if Leo stopped watching Moana when they're fighting the coconuts, <laughs> yeah. that's a really stressful scene. It's like oh, Mad Max inspired. He actually gets stressed during that. I, know. I would love to know his cortisol during 
interesting. For sure. So it goes up. Um, but my sex hormone binding globulin was 55, which is at the very, very high end of what they ever measure. Like, um, And that's a bad thing. So sex hormone binding globulin can prevent some of the expression of testosterone, total testosterone into free testosterone. And so there's actually, so the way it works, there's this like free hormone hypothesis in endocrinology. And the theory is that like 55% of testosterone and 55% of estradiol in women is bound to circulating sex hormone binding globulin. And so what actually matters is the free levels of this hormone that get expressed in the body. And so when you have higher sex hormone binding globulin, your free testosterone um, is naturally lower. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but there is some question actually, and we'll go into this next week. There actually, interestingly, sex hormone binding globulin is not found in mice, which was this major mind blowing moment to me. And they did a recent study where they put an SHBG transgene into a mouse and evaluated how it influenced hormonal biomarkers. And when I saw this study, I was like, damn, it's a good thing I have library access. I want to read all of this. It was so interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, and so what they're doing essentially by putting this gene in mice is using it as a place to do in vivo tests yes. that we can't do in humans. Because they're trying to understand more about, there's been some theories that, okay, maybe even though sex hormone binding globulin binds to testosterone and impacts free testosterone, maybe there's actually some sort of feedback mechanism um, to the hypothalamic pituitary axis that actually increases total testosterone. And so they're yeah. looking at this. We'll get to this next week, but it's super interesting science. And so the reason we wanted to tee it up is that testosterone is so important in the same way that hemoglobin is so important, mm-hmm. but often people don't talk about it in like really specific terms about how you can optimize it. This isn't just male athletes. It's also female athletes. You've been on a journey to improve your testosterone numbers through, you know, whatever means we can, because you've got pretty low variables too. Right? Yeah. I was also on prednisone. And so yes. prednisone naturally suppresses that. And so the theory is, is that prednisone probably suppressed it, but um, you know what? I think mine are high right now. You do? Why? I'm smelly. Okay. Okay. I actually, here's my theory. More smelly than usual? This is not scientist, science-based, okay, okay. but when I'm more smelly than usual, my testosterone levels are higher. Uh-huh. Also, my sex drive is pretty high. Uh-huh. I feel like I could hump at like a stop sign right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like they're, I, I actually got my blood work done too, and it's not back. And I feel like it's going to be high. Men out there, I have to compete with the stop sign. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, more rigid, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> larger, more, more, uh, more red, colorful. more bold. <laughs> I, I, okay. Sometimes you just got to admit that you're losing here. It's like, it's like you saying, I could hump a Ryan Gosling. It's like, that's what a stop sign is <laughs> yeah. to me. You are my Ryan Gosling. I am your stop sign? Yeah, you're my stop sign. <laughs> okay. Um, so we'll get into it. And I just think that it's one of those places where um, yes, optimizing food intake is really important. I think that probably what this shows for me is what we got into a little bit last week is that maybe if I, if men had a menstrual cycle, I would have started to have an irregular period or even lost my menstrual cycle over the course of the last few months. Okay. That's, is that, that's pretty courageous to say, right? It's really courageous to say. Also the statement, if men had a menstrual cycle, if they did, the world would be so different. <laughs> Our <laughs> Supreme Court would be so different. Life and existence would be so different. And you know what? You would have feedback on low energy availability. Every household would get a thousand <laughs> free tampons. Yes, yeah, right? It'd be incredible. Actually, every household would get a diva cup. It's my um, new, it's my new thing. It's been amazing. You went into the bathroom and said, I'm using a diva cup right now. And I'm like, I actually don't, this is the one place where I draw a boundary. I'm like, we need to have some secrets from each other. I ordered a diva cup based off of listener feedback, actually, yeah. after one of our podcast episodes. And I opened it up and it was basically like opening a new iPhone in terms of like how they displayed it. It uh-huh. was just this like shining diva cup as you open the package and it's delivered. It's good stuff. Yeah. It kind of looks like the receptacle in the bottom of a juicer. <laughs> it really does. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, that's kind of the use we're looking for. <laughs> it's like a human juicero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll get into that next week. Um, do you want to get to questions? Let's get to questions. Anything else on, I think one final, so we're going to 
do it next week. But a final, like if people are thinking about their testosterone levels outside of fueling and stress reduction, do you have any recommendations for ways to improve testosterone or anything to think about? So one place the inside tracker actually helped me is looking at not just the um, behavioral aspects to it, but possible supplementary Mm -hmm. um, options. Yes. So behavior wise, you you named the big ones. Fueling, I think will help a lot, increasing my breakfast and lunch size and and reducing some of the snacking, increasing my protein. Um, I sleep well already for the most part, though. Maybe, you sleep really well. Honestly, some of these results could be indicative of sleep apnea. Oh, you for sure have sleep apnea. Okay, so yeah, that's I mean, I've been telling this you this but for years, and you're like that. Also, might be when my uh, hematocrit's so high. You're like maybe this is like my my strong suit in life because yeah. I can't breathe. I get more hemoglobin. Yeah, <laughs> major ZPO is suffocation. Um, <laughs> so that, but then also some supplement options. So ashwagandha. Yep. Um, I'm gonna take ashwagandha, um, and then one of the, they recommend a couple other things. I'm not fully comfortable with yet. Um, vitamin D being the one I am comfortable with. Um, some of the ones I'm not comfortable with, we'll talk about next week because we want to have a million um, disclaimers for that. How about you? Anything you wanted to mention there? No, I think you really nailed all of that. I think food, I think training, actually strength training is amazing for boosting testosterone levels. So yeah. maybe you can get down to the pain again. That's knee. I know. Keep crushing it. I can't. You got to prevail. I can't, Megan. <laughs> Are I, you not going to do strength no, training? No, no, I am. I am. I am. My knee is coming around. <laughs> yeah. but, man, I haven't been injured in forever. And of course I get injured on strength training after talking about all the science. Science. Science sometimes miss, and it gets back actually interesting scientific discussion. Yeah, these studies we talk about, all there's this like uncanny valley or this like valley of missed participants of dropouts who get injured in the course of the study design. Yeah, and it's a small note in the paper. Like we had five participants drop out due to injury. Or but it's one. like, oh, that's super relevant. Yeah. yeah. So my knee's improving now. I'm, I'm glad. Been doing some freaky shit for it. Have you seen me doing it? Yeah, it's you're. It's interesting. Whenever you have an injury, like all the contortions, you're yeah, like this yeah, yeah. stop sign that's twisting itself into many well, different dimensions. So this is the process of an injury. It's a it's a timeline of. You know, it's very much like the five stages of grief. <laughs> yeah. Denial at first, I keep running through it. Bargaining, I'm like, oh, well, maybe it'll get better with a day off or two, whatever else, whatever else, whatever else. But before acceptance, what acceptance is for me, the very final stage is being like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm going to do some crazy things. <laughs> yeah. um, so first what I'll do is I'll roll the everlasting shit out of it. That didn't really help this knee. It actually made it slightly worse, which is rare. Usually that really improves. And I'm like, you know what? weird contortions. When <laughs> I found that worked was something inverting my knee to the inside and doing something really weird. I actually made a video of it and sent it to a SWAT professional athlete. Um, and Leo was in the video like, Whoa. <laughs> so big things going on in David Webb. Okay. I think the sixth stage is scheduling a dentist appointment. That's true. Because so on this journey, you've been like, okay, like as I've been going through this anxiety process, some of this like hormonal process, I really need to think about my health. Well, I want to be there for later. Yeah. It's amazing. I think I actually, it's so cool, but you scheduled a dentist appointment. Actually, uh-huh. I scheduled it for you, but I was still very I proud. asked you to schedule. Yeah. I was still very yeah. proud of you and it's coming up and I just hope we can like ride this wave into actually getting you to the dentist appointment. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's, it's a big moment for I'm me. I'm proud of you. It's Blood huge. Blood taken. Dentist appointment. Guess when my last dentist appointment was? Uh, like 25 years ago. Based on your inner age, it was yeah, <laughs> at, at your Actually, date of birth. Realistically, though, I think it was probably 2002. That's pretty wild. So, yeah, I mean, you have great looking teeth. They're very resilient. Don't look. Don't look. <laughs> okay. On to the next question. Um, oh, I see we took out the music school from Leo. Probably should. We can give that quick no, update. We'll okay. get back to it later. Yeah. It's a good way to end it. Hey, if you want to hear some ways that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about Leo being the best and things like that. 
We're going to talk about some other ways. Good for the parents out there. We'll save it for the end of the episode because I know not everybody wants to hear parenting things. Actually, we can save it for the Athletic Greens discussion. Be, okay. It'll be perfect. Deal. Okay. This is on choosing surfaces and training. This is a question from Patreon. So as always, patreon.com slash swap, SWAP. We answer bonus questions in a um, podcast every week. We answer listener questions. We do a science corner post. Plus we're going to be giving discount code and we have a page, um, precision discount code. Sign up there, patreon.com slash swap. Do you ever talk about surfaces and how that factors into training volume and adaptation? I feel like there's the, this sense that soft surfaces are inherently better. But from listening to Swap, I've learned that we can adapt to pretty much anything. I live in a city with a lot of super hard tiled sidewalks, which feel harder than normal concrete. And I used to avoid running on sidewalks because I felt like it was bad for my body. But after three years of consistent training, I feel like my body has adapted a lot and I tolerate it much better. I have a park slash dirt roads to run in for some runs, but it's definitely more convenient to run on hard surfaces in my neighborhood. I guess I'm asking, what should I be thinking about when it comes to hard surfaces and training? I love this question, so mostly good. because we love soft surfaces because they're fun. And so I feel like when we do runs together, sometimes it's like parkour yeah. of us like hopping to soft surfaces. Like we'll be on a sidewalk for a minute and then we'll see a 200 meter stretch of dirt and we're like, oh, yes, the good but stuff. That's actually a place that's changed quite a lot. In the old days, when I first met you, when you were a field hockey player running in your spare time, you were ridiculous with it. Um, and now you will run the pavement even when there's a little strip of dirt, what's changed? Okay. I rolled my ankles like a million times. Okay, okay, and sometimes okay. it's like just not worth the ankle risk of going parkour. Cost-benefit analysis yes. is what you're saying. Also someone, when I was like transitioning from being a field hockey player to running in college, someone told me they're like soft surfaces are so good for preventing injuries. Okay, okay. And then I got more into the science and honestly, it's a little bit more mixed though. I feel like the anecdotal like yeah. evidence is pretty good. And so the science kind of turned me off it a little bit. Science turned you off. I know. It's, that, the, it's something I never thought we'd hear. It's the, the opposite of sexy science. The one time in life it was not arousing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very sad. <laughs> it's a turn off side. How about with you? What do you what do you typically do? Well, you know, I, it's very interesting that you mentioned um, someone told you that soft surfaces were better mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of how I initially thought about training was like that. I think that was how it used to be before um, all of these great resources were online. Like if SWAT podcast existed when I was starting out, I would have been so happy. But instead, I got information from some old dude at my local 5K who told me I need to be this weight to succeed or I need to run on soft surfaces. And so, like, and the scary part for me was is I did too. And I took that to be like the holy grail of science. Because I was, we had. That's all we had. And I was like, this is true. This is what I'm going to do. I, mean, yeah. I remember my first training book ever was by Chris Carmichael about how he trained Lance Armstrong um, to well, win the Tour de France. Which was, uh, spoiler alert, EPO. Yeah, yeah, like oh, incredible quantities of testosterone. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, the point being like, you know, I had no information to know differently. At the time, I was like the ultimate land supporter. And so what it points out with questions like this is that there's some distinction between three things. One is like, anecdote. Mm -hmm. um, one is advice that might be traditional, which sometimes is informed by anecdote and sometimes it's just informed by intuition, which might be what we are talking about. And third is science. How do you isolate this in labs and measure it? We have all three here. Um, anecdotally, I would say that soft surfaces are better. Oh yeah. And you see that with teams and training, training programs. Like I feel like I see so many top college training programs, like on running, I see, um, like, Bowerman back when yeah. they were more in existence. <laughs> back where everybody left. Yes. Yeah. Doing a lot of like grass-based workouts. So a lot of workouts on turf and, and grass. And it was kind of interesting to see them mixing up their training surfaces. And you'd yeah. see that all the time. As yeah. I, was, I was thinking about it, I think probably um, there was grass all around the burrito food truck. <laughs> yeah. Right? It wasn't, For Shelby, yeah. It wasn't on concrete. <laughs> it, was, it was on grass. You don't need to explain my joke. People knew what I was talking about. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you see that in practice. But- as we're starting to see more science, 
it isn't always showing that. Like, um, you can basically find studies that support any of the approaches here. Essentially, they use accelerometers, place them on different parts of the body, and then measure force through them. And you see different things everywhere. And the main theory is that when runners are transitioning from one surface type to another, they actually adapt their stride. Um, and so it changes the, the leg stiffness and the ground reaction force that they're feeling from those surfaces. And you can find any number of directions saying, okay, let's going from concrete to grass has less leg stiffness associated with it and vice versa. Um, there was one really interesting study where um, runners actually decreased leg stiffness by 29% between the last step on the soft surface and the first step on the hard surface, Interesting. meaning that their leg stiffness was decreasing in hard surface. And the theory is that runners are landing more like more softly on a hard surface. Yeah. But that doesn't always parallel. Like I feel like for me, it's in the opposite direction. Like oftentimes I feel more beat up when I'm running consistently on hard surfaces. Yeah. And I see the same consistently in athletes. That is one area where like like some of this research and what we're seeing in practice is different. I think it depends on two things. One is study design. Yes. Two yeah. is the placement of the accelerometers. Also three is, and this might be baked into study design, is probably some people are adjust are better at adjusting their stride for yeah. different surfaces than others. And that depends on a lot of things. And then four is Actually, I guess you're getting into this with placement of the um, accelerometer. What's number 69? Yeah. Just going up the numbers here? It's nice. You stop at three, no it's matter a, what. It's a nice accelerometer. I think it depends on, do you place it on your lower leg or your, your upper leg? Yeah. And, and uh, the study that you mentioned is a good point because the first step, I don't really give a fuck about. How often do you get injured on the first step? I care about the 20,000th step. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. And a study just came out in 2023 that was really interesting. Um, it found a lower peak acceleration um, in sacrum, measured from the sacrum and the shoes, um, when you were on soft surfaces. So grass track being a little bit more than grass, um, but not as low and then concrete being the highest. And so I think that generally overlaps with what you'd expect, uh, especially when you're measuring in places like the sacrum. I was gonna say, I think places like the sacrum is key because a lot of these studies are looking at like tibial acceleration or even Achilles or calf force. And oftentimes that sometimes tends to get higher on soft surfaces. I see it all the time where athletes go do a treadmill workout and their Achilles and their calves get really sore for the first couple of days. And so I think for me, like soft surfaces tend to decrease force up the kinetic chain, yeah. whereas um, it tends to increase down. And so I think it just depends on like what type of injury or what type of yeah. injuries you might be prone to. Yeah. And so for this athlete, you're fine on concrete is the basic way to say it. Yes. It's not a one size fits all. And probably most significantly is how runners can adjust over time. So there's studies measuring gait retraining mm -hmm. where they give someone cues to reduce these force levels um, throughout their body when they're running on a treadmill. And those gait retraining um, cues can decrease force by 60%. And then those adaptations stay for six months to a year in follow-up, which is so much more than anything we're talking about in here. So for all of us, it's much more important, I think, to think about your form and running lightly on your feet with quick strides than it is to think necessarily about the um, surface all the time. But if you have the choice, soft surfaces over hard ones, and especially for things like long runs, um, once you're doing, start doing long runs, you should probably avoid doing that on roads all the time, like pavement all the time, um, unless it's your only option, just because the body can get a little bit more beat up, a little bit more overuse, particularly higher up the kinetic chain. And I think one thing that we haven't necessarily talked about with soft surfaces is that there's often a lot more like undulation or varying terrain on soft surfaces. Like on yeah. trails, you're going to have switchbacks, you're going to have rocks and roots and things like that. And I think sometimes those mixed movement patterns are really great for runners because you're not just experiencing the same stress pattern yeah. over and over and over again. And I think it's a big 
reason why I would rather run a trail 50K than a road marathon yeah. in terms of recovery is those mixed movement patterns are really beneficial. You never lived in New York City like I did, though. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mixed movement patterns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, Jumping over a, a pizza rat and a subway yeah, mouse yeah, yeah. and like all the, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you got to dodge pizza rat. You crushed the joke I had in my head. <laughs> is that where you're going? No, no, you beat me. Oh. It, my, my joke wasn't going to work and yours crushed it. Bring <laughs> <laughs> up pizza rat, Megan. You know the weight of my heart. Oh, <sighs> my God. I saw someone on Halloween, actually, that dressed up as pizza rat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were dressed up as a big rat and then they had a massive pizza and they were carrying it by their mouth down the subway stairs. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I would love to do that costume just to carry a slice of pizza in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you want to get into Z1, Z2 or go straight to UTMB? What do you think? Let's do a quick one on Z1, Z2. I think this is a great question. And I love, you know, it's really nice to have listener questions And it really applies to yeah. individual um, decisions. At what volume slash rough speed would you suggest adding true zone one work in a five zone model? Um, I get that for speed or time limited athletes, they get better bang for their buck from Z2. But as I build, I want to make sure I'm not overdoing the Z2 by limiting um, my long-term process progress. Also, probably a stupid question, but at what point does Z1 end and Z2 start? For info, I'm up around eight hours a week mark on a comfortable week. I always stick to the 80-20 intensity distribution model. So 80% is in zone one or zone two. So both of them. Average pace on rolling road slash easy trail is sub eight minute miles at 140 beats per minute heart rate. My Z2 ends around 150. Uh, So not sure if that's fast enough or long enough to warrant a a decent chunk of Z1 training. I've been historically injury prone, but I think and hope I've turned a corner recently and I'm a bit more robust these days. Oh man, cheers to being a bit more robust. That's yeah, amazing. That's what we should go for. That's what I'm going for by getting these tests. I want to be robust. You want to be a robust stop sign. I want to be a tough, robust bitch. <laughs> I love that. Well, also, I love me some Z1. Yes. I feel like I've added a lot of Z1 to my training and it's really helped in terms of recovery. I think it's helped even in terms of how I feel in workouts because yeah. I think my mitochondria are more primed. Um, so the answer is, yeah, always have some Z1 in here, especially at these volumes, like eight hours, nine hours a week. I I think having a decent amount be zone one. It's funny. I'm not necessarily always concerned about the breakdown of zone one versus zone two, whereas I'm much more concerned about the breakdown of like zone two versus zone three training. Yeah, definitely. And it gets to the delineations here. So zone one essentially just means very easy. Um, Like super chill. But there's not a specific turn point between zone one and zone two. It's a pure spectrum. Whereas at the top end of zone two, you're hitting aerobic threshold. And so it is more of a turn point and it matters a lot more. I was going to say, I'm much more concerned about that turn point. When we say zone one, we're not saying it all needs to be very easy. We're just saying most of it very easy so that you have room to wiggle up into Z2, whereas a lot of Z2 training becomes Z3 mm-hmm. by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not really getting benefits from that much Z2 of like slightly more moderate easy running or easy training um, when you're a more advanced athlete. So it gets a little complicated, I would say, for beginner runners versus elite runners. So this person is an advanced runner. And for them, they definitely need to be doing some Z1. Develop your entire aerobic curve. That's pure aerobic metabolism. It'll help you recover better, help you feel better. It'll make your paces faster over time. It'll also probably even help you clear lactate a yes. little bit better, which to me was so wild. Like I, I always expected that to be get better at clearing lactate. I have to produce a lot of lactate. But it's like, no, build that mitochondria like powerhouse. Yeah. Build that huge lactate factory, and it's going to help you clear it, which is so cool. Would you say that mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cell? David, that's so sexy. It's <laughs> it's too sexy for AP bio. <laughs> Honestly, that's like third grade bio. I know. That's where, I, where I feel most comfortable. Um, but you know, the point about lactate is really relevant compared to the science discussion we're going to have later mm-hmm. on 
the main way the genetic code changes in the way it expresses over time is through mitochondrial genes. And so developing the entire range of genes that can be stimulated is not as simple as saying, oh, you know, I don't need to run this easy. It's like, you should run that easy sometimes because it helps develop things that might be working on small scales that we're not measuring in training intervention studies. But that's a little bit uh, neither here nor there compared to this question. But when it comes to beginner athletes, the question's a little bit different Mm -hmm. because for them, it might be almost impossible to be in Z1 and still running. And it might even be impossible to stay in Z2 and still run. So for them, I would say um, it's okay to wander up a little bit more in your effort as you get comfortable with what it means to run a little bit faster. At that point, have some fun. Don't even monitor your heart rate. Let yourself just get comfortable running. And I think too, if you're a lower mileage athlete, so I think I would class myself right now as like a lower mileage, higher volume athlete. And so I have a substantial amount of cross training that's coming in. And I've really focused on having my cross training be some good Z1 time. So the time that I'm spending in the like training mileage I'm doing running can be a little bit more biomechanically demanding. So I get that stimulus. And so I think there's a lot of different gradations as to how this can look. But it works both ways, right? Because- in cross training, it's a chance to load your body more and yes. get more aerobic stimulus yep. yeah. with way less risk. Like on the bike this weekend, you did 10 by three minutes. You're not ready to do that in running yet, or we worry about some injury stuff. So you're able to transition some of your hard stuff to cycling too. So it kind of goes both directions. Well, I was going to say, I have a bunch of Z1, but then also a bunch of like Z3, Z4 yeah. uh, in my cross training. But I would say like, it's so nice for me to have like a 35 minute elliptical double in Z1. Yes, It's yes, also yes. a gift too, because I love, I'm in such a good audiobook right now. That's actually fiction, my first fiction yeah. audiobook, And I can pay attention so much better <laughs> at Z1. Do you want to make a recommendation to the crowd? Yeah, it's hella beautiful. All right. It's a good audiobook. I almost bailed on it a quarter of the way through and then shit started unraveling uh-huh. and it got really real good. And it's so good now. So you like when things unravel. I do like when things unravel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I like chaos and action Uh and it was a little bit, it was, it's a lot like the plot of little women for the first one quarter. And then it took a hard turn, a hard (laughs) right turn from that. (laughs) I love it so much. All right. Let's go into the next thing. First, a promo for AG1. We got an amazing listener email here that we wanted to read. If you're on the fence, listen to this. I think you're missing out on a great marketing angle for athletic greens. It's the only way to survive having a toddler in daycare, especially this winter. My wife is not yet an Athletic Greens convert, and I've noticed that I bounce back noticeably faster from whatever the toddler virus factory produced this week than she does. Personally, I think we're two virus cycles away from getting her on the bandwagon. Oh my gosh, I love this. I also love this right now because it's topical because Leo has a cold. But first, drinkag1.com slash swap, (laughs) S-W-A-P. Megan, do some sales over here drinkag1.com slash swap. You're like enough with storytelling. Let me get this promo code in. We believe in this shit. It's actually, so it's good. so good. And I especially believe in it right now because Leo has a cold and he's actually gotten a few colds the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, we haven't gotten any of them. No. I think it's athletic greens. Yeah. We just I need know. to feed it to Leo. I know. Actually, every time he gets a cold, I view it as a challenge. I'm like, yeah. come on, immune system. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such good stuff. I actually stopped taking it when I was dealing with the anxiety for a little bit. Why? Because I just stopped everything. I was yeah. just like, I need to figure this out first. I need to get my blood work back. And after I got, you know, some of the good results, my blood work was actually quite good. I'm like, I I need to get back on the AG1 bandwagon. And I noticed my heart rate response went down again. So Mm -hmm. during exercise, um, my heart rate at lactate threshold on the bike was much lower than it was the day, you know, two days before. So very cool how that you know, might influence the body. Yeah. It's good, good stuff. And it's fun to see the heart rate response. I mean, I feel like I've seen that consistently across athletes. It's pretty wild stuff. It's so wild. And you want to, speaking of wild, we're going to save the Leo story for the end. Okay. Um, I love it. Because I want to get into the UTMB boycott. Okay. This is truly wild. This is going to be in the title because every time we talk about the shit around UTMB, we get lots of clicks, which is interesting. Not from like a podcast perspective, because you know, we're fine. Um, more from a perspective of what people are interested in, because I think clearly this is on the minds of a lot 
a lot, a lot of runners right now. Well, it's kind of like my perspective on fiction. We all like in life when things take a hard right turn and you're like drama and chaos and action. And I feel like that's what's happening in UTMB. And I also think it's a broader reflection of what like trail runners as a community care about and the power of like individual action and the fact that trail running is a like participation sport and circle all of those things together. And it makes me excited. And it's just fascinating from a decision-making framework perspective, which is what we're going to get into today. So for background, for those that haven't heard the whole controversy, UTMB is the big umbrella organization that does many of the biggest trail races in the world, including UTMB in Chamonix, the biggest race um, other than I would say Western states, because I'm a US guy and I stand (laughs) by it. I fucking love Western states. Um, So they've been subject of controversy for a while, especially when they were bought by Ironman uh, due to consolidation of power, monopolization, things like that. It wasn't until this year where they put an event where another event was in Whistler um, that it became a much bigger deal. And then they fired a Corinne Malcolm, who was uh, their announcer, who we love, who did so much for women in the sport and equality. And I think that that was the straw that broke the camel's back because everything else you could write off that had clear either ignorance or animus to it but does it even matter each which one when someone that is doing such objective good for the sport is taken out of it i also think it was a dumb business making decision on their part like clearly like corinne is beautifully outspoken like what she stands for is amazing and the way she communicates it's great so if you fire someone that's like that it's just going to elevate those principles in a way that i think builds this following against utmb and corinne has done that it's been i think it's been successful and i'm proud of corinne for doing that i'm sure even our listeners noticed that for us was a moment where like fuck this is it. This is know? done. Yes. And so, yeah. uh, Zach and Zach Miller, uh, second at UTMB this year, legend in the sport and Killian, maybe the best of all time, sent an email to some of the top athletes in the sport. This was leaked. Um, we saw it in particular through, um, someone that was criticizing it, mm-hmm. um, who posted it online. So this isn't from Zach and Killian directly. Um, but here is some text from it. I'll just read a little snippet. We understand that the racing space is a business and we are all right with the organization making money. However, we feel that there's a way to do this without treating people poorly and running over everyone who gets in your way. To put it simply, we want them to run their business well. We want them to be considerate. We want them to not only ask, what can we do to benefit ourselves, but also what can we do to improve the sport in trail running as a whole? And then later on, perhaps the best way to communicate our discontent and apply some pressure is to band together and all go to a different race. An absence of the top 15 male and female runners from the UTMB start line would speak volumes. It would communicate to them that we are not happy and we pressure them to make some changes. Okay. I especially love this because coming from Zach Miller, I feel like if there's anyone in life that can exert pressure on yeah. someone or something, it's Zach Miller. He's such a respected guy. He's so yes. kind. Yeah. And, and so is Killian. That's, yeah. that's what's interesting to me. Well, I think it's an interesting grouping because yeah. I feel like they have, they both have very, like Killian is so, he does amazing things for the environment and Zach, I feel like does amazing things for like the trail community. And it's cool to see yeah. them coming together with, I would say like probably like similar, but also different value systems to some extent. And very different backgrounds. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They're both environmental activists. Yes. Yeah. You know, have this perspective on lifting up the community, but you know, one's uh, caught on in in Spain. The other grew up in rural Pennsylvania. Um, And I kind of love that they came together for this type of email. Um, So I think that there's an interesting situation here. So let's look at it through, I think, negotiation theory. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put my lawyer hat on for this. Oh, I love when you do this. It's so great. The pushback, the reason we saw all this was people saying that this is childish behavior that is self-serving and that person to that person or, or anyone that thinks that I'm like, no, you're actually projecting how you feel about yourself and your own decisions onto theirs. Because, it's very Trump-like in behavior. Actually. Well, I don't want to say that because you know, it's 2024. Let's let, let's let, let's let that stay, stay, 
say where it is. The, we're actually recording this on the day of the Iowa caucuses. Oh, true. Yeah. We don't want to think about that anymore. <laughs> then we have to. Um, but when you think about negotiation theory, all that matters is leverage. And you have to build leverage to have any opportunity to exert force and to be able to meet halfway. So what is the leverage of athletes in this space? Um, maybe you could say that social media posts would be, but that hasn't done anything. Mm-mm. Maybe you could say that, you know, like getting them to issue press releases and partner with races would be the thing, but that hasn't done it either. So at this point, Killian and Zach know their true leverage is their presence and the publicity that they bring to the race, the validation they bring to the race. So they're just turning the leverage meter all the way up to a hundred and saying, all right, UTMB, we called your bluff. Let's see what happens. Do you think, what do you think is going to happen? Because I think there's this interesting, like, I love the narrative and it is true that like trail running and ultra running is a participator sport. So yeah. like there are hundreds of thousands of people that are probably interested, hopefully, yeah, in is. running, in yeah, running UTMB. I was like thinking about that number, but that actually probably is true. And does the top 15 matter in a sport in which there is so much participation? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure UTMB is iconic. It's beautiful. It's this grand event. And truly it actually has been to be fair, like we have had some athletes that have had their lives changed by running UTMB these athletes. at Chimney. As yes. Killian and Zach. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think, I mean, I hope that pressure, like I hope that leverage is high, but what do you think it, like, what is your prediction as to how, how that actually holds? Oh, it's the ultimate leverage. Yeah. Um, so, okay. You know, what's uh, the obvious example is um, the NFL. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Ironman and then the PTO, um, no, Professional Triathlete actually, Organization. Yeah. I don't think that's quite as strong because um, triathlon itself has such a small denominator yeah. that you're working in a slightly different um, area. You know, for the NFL, a player strike is the ultimate way to get a new collective bargaining agreement that fits the player's terms. If, if players didn't have strikes, the they would there still wouldn't be free agency. Mm-hmm. Free agency in Major League Baseball didn't even exist until one player said, you know what? No, it's Kurt Flood back in the 1970s. I love that you players were just bound to their teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, athletes striking is key. The distinction that you're making is because it's a participation sport, is that different? I think no, because UTMB made its entire um, you know, presence felt through being kind of the world series of the sport. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're still gonna make money. But they're not stupid enough to think that they can exist perpetually with elite athletes boycotting because eventually that trickles down and no business can survive um, you know, a boycott from the top, um, no matter what it is. So I think this is the, the right move right now for these athletes. Um, I'll be curious to see where it goes. I don't know exactly what they're thinking, exactly what other athletes are thinking, whether this will take hold. But um, I think this is the only way to generate the leverage to have a shot and making a difference. Okay. And as coaches, we have leverage, but it's kind of an interesting place to be because I certainly don't, don't want my athletes. And I've told a few athletes don't do UTMB at Whistler. Whistler. That's, That's a, a very race, clear yeah. race, but also athletes, if they get in the top 10 of UTMB or yeah. CCC or OCC, they have the opportunity for huge professional contracts in terms of sponsorships. Yeah. And so for me as a coach, I don't feel like it's my place to tell athletes not to do this race. Like I'm not going to do it personally, um, but I don't feel like it's my place to tell athletes not to do it. How do you yeah. feel? It's a hard spot to be. Yeah. I'm not going to do it personally. I also, I'm not going to be the first you know, female astronaut on the moon. <laughs> yeah. I just, no, just saying like, I'm not very, I'm not, I'm not ready. Um, no, so I don't, This that's a good place, I think, where there is valid pushback. It's that, look, you've already made your billing in this sport. You've accomplished what you need to accomplish to Zach and Killian. And so it's like, well, is this a little bit of- Well, both of them have benefited from UTMB. Exactly. Is yes. it self-aggrandizing to do this type oh, of thing? Oh, it's not for sure. Yeah. Well, but I could see that type of pushback. And yes, yeah. With that in mind, for me, I'm like, look, 
athletes need to do what's best for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is a time where um, what's best for them needs to meet like this, like union style um, coordinated front, because you might be then sacrificing your entire future in this sport. And has UTMB's misdeeds met that level of shit yet? I don't know. And so that's because I'm in the, I don't know position. And because I want athletes, you know, my obligations to athletes, I'm supporting for sure. Um, anyone doing the UTMB races in Chamonix, um, unless something changes. I mean, they didn't reach out to us. Like they're not, they don't give a shit what we do <laughs> yeah. right now. But if they do, maybe then that'll change it. You know, we have kind of haven't put been put on the spot yet. So yeah. I don't know. What Will do we think? be in Chamonix spectating this summer? No. Yeah. No. Partially because we went no. to Chamonix last year. I loved, as soon as we got to Chamonix, I was like, I want to move to France. Yeah. I love it here. And then we got neurovirus and COVID and didn't have childcare for two weeks. And I think yeah. my thoughts changed entirely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, that was very daunting. Yeah. I don't think Killian and Zach are being self-serving, but it's possible that we are. We're like, we don't have to go back. Yeah. This is great. And we're supporting the community by not going back. <laughs> so we'll keep you updated. Um, yeah. If this is your goal, stay true to yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like don't let um, pressure influence what brings you the most love and joy in your life at this point. Yes. If it changes, I think we'll, we'll say something. We I mean, the races like are beautiful. They're incredible races. And, and this is the, I've had yeah. conversations with athletes. I have athletes that are looking to break into like big professional contracts and it's, they want to do the races and it's like, yes, let's yeah. do it. And UTMB yeah. is going to be a full start line. I think the difference is for the very, very elite athletes, it's a slightly different calculus. Yes. Because they've already, they've already gotten to that level. And yeah. they're the ones with leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so for everyone else, I don't think we are, not we, for those out there that are concerned, you are not the Kurt Flood in this situation. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make that stand for everyone else unless you view it as your moral imperative. And if you do, hell yeah, we congratulate you for that. Honestly, I'm not that, I don't, my character's not that high yet. So like, you know what I mean? As much as I want to sound like this. Oh, really, you have really good character. I do. But at the same t- same time, you know, everyone has character until their back's against a wall, right? Yeah. yeah. And until their back's against a beautiful Chamonix mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) On to the next thing here. Uh, This is on the Uroy voting, uh, the ultra runner of the year voting. Uh, If you're not aware of it, it's done every year for the top 10 North American uh, male and female athletes. Um, It's a huge deal in the sport. Contracts are based on it. Bonuses um, are given based on it. So it's not just a normal list that doesn't mean much. It actually does matter a little bit. And then there's been several other iterations of lists. Like I can think of free trail that's had lists. Like there's been a lot of groups coming out that also have voting yeah. and all kinds of other voting. It's kind of fun to see what happens at the end of years. And you're like year in sport, like Spotify unwrapped, Uroy, like yeah. all kinds of interesting lists and things happen. But Uroy is the OG. It's the original gangster. That's here. true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think there's a few things we wanted to mention just briefly without any serious thoughts. First interesting thing on this is Camille Heron, um, legendary athlete, asked not to be included as far as I'm aware. I saw a couple people post that. Um, so she wasn't included in the voting this year, which I thought was an interesting decision to opt out of it altogether. Well, it kind of makes sense to me because in so in this ultra running system, we have long road ultras and we have trail ultras. And it's kind of like comparing, like you just use the NFL analogy. I would say it's like comparing like the NFL to flag football, yeah. not in terms of like the like the iconic nature of either of those, but just in terms of like the sport itself. Yeah. Like road, road, road ultras are so vastly different than trail ultras that it seems almost weird to quantify one person from another when they're not even yeah. racing each other head to head. But lists are good. Yeah. I mean, like, could you? I guess you can just do the best you can. But I mean, I still feel like you're comparing apples to oranges and yeah, but it doesn't make sense. That's fine. Yes. People rank their favorite fruits all the time. <laughs> yes. you know, What's your favorite fruit? Um, 
Such a good. I, not you don't really, eat fruit. Not really <laughs> yeah. You're like too much fiber from my stomach. <laughs> maybe that explains some of my numbers. <laughs> yeah, maybe your inner age would be much younger. Oh my god, I'll be fucking twenty. Yeah, so I start eating a grape every now yeah. and then. Mine's pineapple. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Or mango. Yeah, I've heard pineapple improves the taste of things that come out of people's bodies. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it. Damn. Yeah. I try to be a kind citizen. I, dude, I don't know. I care about you. I, I eat asparagus three meals a day. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and athletic greens. And I'm like, fuck me. <laughs> or don't. Or don't. Um, okay. So I actually love Camille's decision here for herself. Um, whatever decision you like is interesting. I, I mean, I think it's good protect your mental health for her. It seemed to protect her mental health or maybe she opts out. I'm not sure what her Yeah, I love that actually. It's kind of like if there's ever something that bothers you on the internet, just mute it. Yeah. And she essentially muted you, Roy. And I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, um, totally true. I was thinking of something else there, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> um, so the other thing that the voting is doing, and it does this every year, and it's a little frustrating. So just wanted to vent briefly. We have on Patreon, we have four hot takes uh, on our bonus episode. Oh yeah, week. you did a nice vent. Oh, it was, it was a lot. It was 10 minutes of... Uh, it was some spice. Long venting. What's it? I don't think it was 10 minutes. So the complicated thing here is my boy, um, who definitely deserves to be in the top 10, Drew Holman, did not make it yet again. Um, and he was beat by uh, some athletes who would, you know, are great athletes, but not Drew. I mean, Drew was top American at world championships. He beat Zach Miller there. It was fifth place. He won Lake Sonoma 50 um, against the stacked field to get to the world championships. It was a U.S. champs race. And then um, was top five at CCC. All the most stacked races in the world. His UTMB score is like 900 or something. Oh, it's bananas. Yeah. And so that to me is frustrating because the voting itself seems to reward racing lots um, and racing less competitive races. Yes. And also it seems to be more US-focused races as well. Did you notice that? To a certain extent, but at the same time, it's just because the US athletes do a lot of US races. It seems that way. Yeah. I feel like if you do... Basically, the thing I would love to do is game the system and be like, you know what? I'm going to do 12 ultras this year. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to just pick and choose races that that my competitors are not doing that mm-hmm. might also be in New Roy and see if I can prove a point. Um, and so we don't want to disparage everyone. Everyone's amazing. Um, everyone on this list is awesome. Oh, oh incredible athletes. But, I mean, we're talking about like the best athlete in the world versus like another amazing athlete. And I feel like that's an important distinction when we talk about this list. But I thought what you were going to go with is, I mean, I feel like we're in the age of statistics and there are tons of stats out there now. Like I think the UTMB index score is getting closer and closer and closer. Not quite yet. Not quite there yet. But I think there's ways in which we can make this system like just more evidence-based. Yeah. And right now I feel like it's like the Supreme Court deciding. Well, it's based on vibes and reputation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mixed with some stats, but what it reminds me of so much is baseball. So when I talked about this on Patreon, I talked about MVP voting. So in baseball in the old days, you would sometimes get um, people winning MVP who nowadays, the most valuable player, who wouldn't finish in the top 20. And how wild is that? That in the old days, they considered runs batted in, how many players were on base that you drove in to home, one of the most important variables. And what they've learned since then through sabermetrics and advanced statistics, RBIs are totally context dependent and do not matter about personal performance. Like it's a very small indicator. And not only should it not determine MVP, it shouldn't even be considered. Um, And maybe the best example here is in gold glove voting um, in baseball where given to the best defender, they once gave it to Rafael Palmero, um, since disgraced for steroid use, 
when he played designated hitter, which means he <laughs> didn't even play in the field as his main position. The point being, they gave it to him for reputation, um, for showing up, I guess, occasionally. Um, and that type of thing is like, all right, we need to move past that in ultra running if contracts are going to be based on this. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we have the ability to generate these statistics, but I'm also always curious too. It's like, I feel like baseball has evolved so much because the yeah. statistics have also informed how the game gets played. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm curious to see, like, once we develop a score, and I think that UTB index score is close to this, is like, is this informing how athletes choose races yeah. based off of like UTB index score and other things? And I, I always think it's it's fascinating when you when like statistics inform how we actually compete. The problem is now a lot of races are opting out of UTMB index score. Which is a good thing, actually. Sending, yes, yeah, yes. Which is, but the point being, that's not it's going to get worse and worse, not better and better. That's true. Unless yes. something changes. Yeah, like, when there's less data points. Yeah. yeah. Um, I checked actually... Um, before after you put that in the outline, I checked mine and my two most recent races, which would have been my highest scores ever, weren't included. Um, mm. So it's it just in most of my good races over time haven't been included except national championships and things like that. Um, so I just think we need to get to the point with ultra running in general where like the number of races or the length of races is not what determines how we evaluate people in this rank system. Especially because there's a health context. Exactly. Yeah. You do a ton of hundreds each year and it's like, okay, well, you might have a short career after that too. And I yeah. feel like it's not just statistics. It's like linking statistics with health. Yeah. And also talking about this at all makes us a little bit of like ESPN gas bags. You know, like <laughs> yeah. On ESPN, they just debate MVP all season. And so it's interesting. We love it. It's great for the sport. We uplift everyone that's on the list, everyone that didn't make the list. Uh, but we're a little biased and do think that like now that the sport is professionalizing so much, we should understand the competitive aspect of some events is mm-hmm. totally different, like oh, fundamentally totally different. different context. Yeah. Um, and you know, like my McDowell 50 mile race being a great example, like, yes, it had money to the winner. Yes. Our budget is great for public publicity, but if I won eight McDowell 50 miles or the equivalents, um, that would probably, and you are voting, put me into the top few and historically, and it absolutely shouldn't. Yes, yeah. um, because Drew's one win at Lake Sonoma is better than all eight of us <laughs> yeah. um, in, in this context, yes, in my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think that opinion is backed up by stone cold facts. I like that. Also, we gave like you gave some recommendations for improving testosterone earlier. Uh-huh. I have another recommendation: is to get deeply passionate about you, Roy, yeah. and your boy Drew Holman. I can see, <laughs> I can see your testosterone <laughs> levels. You're getting smelly over there. You're ready to hump stop signs. You're yeah, like yeah. my boy, Drew. Drew is my Ryan Gosling. Yeah, what you're yeah, saying. yeah. as he should be. Um, actually. Every time I'm watching a show, so often I'm like, that person reminds me of Drew. I don't know why that is. Seth Myers reminds me so much of Drew. I don't know why that is. I just feel like, I mean, I feel like in all good people, I see Drew. Yeah. And when you look at the stars, sometimes you'll see a constellation that like, I'll see a heart up there. I'll see heart rocks everywhere. <laughs> Similarly, I see Drew in the stars. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want to get onto the science topic? Oh my gosh. We're doing this in an hour. I know. Well, I, I mean- Okay, so we actually had a debate because I love the science topic and you love the science topic, but I think you love it more than I do. I love it way more. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it now? I do want to talk about it. Okay, okay. Yes. Because the reason that we didn't do it first, one, we had a bunch of fun stuff we didn't talk about, but two, um, you know, it's a little in the weeds. It's about the proteome and the transcriptome and the genome. So omics is essentially a branch of big data science. And we'll go into like what each of those means. But I have done some genomics-based science and it's amazing. It's outstanding. But I think sometimes it's like you need to really repeat those studies a lot yeah. to make sure that what you're what you find is being validated across multiple studies because there's such large databases and such large investigations that sometimes you can find like a thousand things that are significant yeah. and you really need to like dig in multiple studies. Okay. So you've done the science, but I've read some abstracts. <laughs> yeah. So who, you know, yeah, tomato, I have, tomato. I have library access. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, actually I was at one point, I was really interested in like the genomics of like sports medicine and injuries. And I was going to base 
like most of my dissertation from my PhD on that. And it actually scared me a little bit because I was like, what if I, I mean, I love the science. The science is so cool and we need researchers to do this. But I was like, what if I do this and people can't replicate it? Like that would be kind of a scary dissertation for me. And so I veered away to more like clinical translational based research. You could become the president of Harvard University. (laughs) (laughs) Just take snippets of sentences and place them everywhere. (laughs) Shouldn't have have delved into that. (laughs) Much, much love to everyone out there. It's the hard world in, in modern in modern society. Okay, so the new study that just came out that led to this discussion. Actually, and it's very the findings are super cool. Okay. I just the scientific methods. I was like, oh, let's just findings. Are let's cool. keep it to thirty thousand feet. Um, yes, just because perfect. we're already an hour yes. into the podcast. Yep. It's called remodeling of the human skeletal muscle proteome found after long term endurance training, but not after strength training. Um, and so here's a quote: uh, Many benefits of endurance training are associated with changes in gene expression, protein abundance, and post-translational modifications in response to exercise training. So, it gets back to what I was mentioning earlier: um, that the exercise does alters your genes and the way your proteins are expressed in ways that go beyond something like lactate threshold. It's much more complicated than that. Which is cool and it's motivating to me because it's like when I do exercise, we're having some of these changes at like the genomic, the proteomic, the transcriptomic level. And that's so cool. But I think just as a quick breakdown so people understand those terms. um, So genes essentially express proteins. And so when we're doing a proteomic study, we're looking at large arrays of proteins, generally in a specific context. And in this article that we're about to dive into, they looked at proteins expressed within skeletal muscle. Um, and let's dive into like the study and like the participants they recruited because I think it's cool. Let's not dive in. Let's stay 30. Yeah, David, it's like, <laughs> you're trying here and I'm not going to let you. Well, this is the hard part is, is every study. I'm like, we must dive. Okay. I'm going to, I'm actually going to summarize all of the study very quickly. So you can't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So it aimed to fully characterize the skeletal muscle proteome. It took long-term endurance trained males and females, N equals 18, long-term strength trained males only, um, and age-matched unhealthy untra- or healthy untrained males and females. Fuck, I screwed it all up <laughs> thinking I was just going to crush it. No, you still crush it. Okay, but that was the methods. Um, then you used liquid chromatography followed by mass spectrometry um, to really dig in. And the, the key finding here is they found that greater than 650 of the 6,000 proteins measured were differentially expressed in the protein group. And 92% of the protein expression differences that were shared by men and women were mitochondrial. And I think that's really cool because whenever we're doing these studies, oftentimes when you're doing these genomic studies, this is a proteomic study, but usually when you're doing this, you're just like finding these random things. Like you're yeah. like searching through single nucleotide polymorphisms and specific things and you're like, does this relate? And when you find this number of changes in the mitochondria, it's like, yeah. damn, that's like a power punch. So I really think that's interesting that when you're having in like – like larger quantities of endurance training, that you're actually impacting yeah. how your proteins are being expressed in terms of like mitochondrial function. So cool. Yeah. And what's wild to me is that the strength group did not have the changes in expression um, over long term. So while strength is very important, clearly endurance does something to the body, particularly through the mitochondria, that has much more long term changes and implications. And that's very relevant, not just for your fitness, also for disease processes, since mitochondria are so um, important for things like cancer and you know um, sickness and other things. Um, so for me, this study is the ultimate in hope. The reason I really wanted to talk about it today is for all of us out there, once you start turning on these genes and proteins start expressing differently, you don't know exactly where it's going to go because it happens in such a nonlinear way. Like this study is looking just at quote, long-term endurance trained males and females. 
What if we looked at people that did strides Mm -hmm. or people that invested in themselves enough to do workouts? Maybe the um, expressions would change even more. And then you're talking about, hey, when I do a stride, it's not just about improving my speed and biomechanical function. It's also about fundamentally altering the way my physiology works. What do you think of that? I like that. Also, I'd be a lot more excited to go down to the pain cave to do like my Z1 and yeah. Z2 training if I was like, it's genes, baby. Yeah. I'm impacting my genes. I think I have a lot of questions. Oh, yeah, no. I want to see that's replicated. No. no, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like the there's like biological mechanisms that make sense. I just like with these studies, I'm like, let's see more. So yeah, the other day I got an email and it said, a Nigerian prince needs you to send $5 million, but you'll get $10 million in return. I said, Megan, hell yeah. And she's like, David, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Um, but interestingly, actually, a preprint study just came out this morning that I wanted to mention that was on one particular um, mitochondrial protein, and it's called Slurp. Yeah, actually, S L I R P. The I in there was interesting. They were so close to a U. Still count it. Slurp. <laughs> Clearly, precision fuel and hydration fans. Um, and if you want to be precision fuel and hydration fans, just going to throw this in. Go to pfandh.com and use code SWAP for 15% off. Uh, it's the best for fueling activity. It's so good. Just wanted to throw it in on the Slurp. Um, protein expression. It's so delicious. Also, you took, I like how you structured your workout, the bike workout that you did this yeah. weekend. You took um, one of the 30 gram carb gels uh, between every intervals. So you're doing like yeah. 11 minute intervals and it was a great way to get in kind of like this higher carb uh, intake during a workout. The reason I did it is because I was seeing God and thought I couldn't finish the workout. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? When you are suffering this much, have 90 grams of carbohydrates right away and see what happens. Uh, the great thing about cycling is it's so much easier to fuel. So uh, Precision has made that so much better. So pfandh.com and then there at checkout, use the code SWAP. It's a great point. Every time I see God, I want to slurp. <laughs> <laughs> I, I basically, that was basically the trend of my my sixth grade Catholic school experience. And maybe why I didn't go back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You go to like midnight mass, and see, see a cross and you're just like, it's like slurp. Slurp. <laughs> okay, uh, that might have been sacrilegious. We apologize. Uh, next up is the same. Story. No, it's the ultimate form of love. Oh, slurping. <gasps> yeah. Yes. We are open to all denominations and all slurps. Yeah. He died, so we may slurp. <laughs> that was sacrilegious. That, that was hilarious. But we love Jesus. I mean, seriously. Um, we, we love- Jesus number- is our homeboy. <laughs> I think that's on a Now shirt. we're really getting there. Yeah, I know. We're really going down the sacrilege. Is there anything else you'd like to say? No. Okay, okay. I think I'm done on that one. <laughs> Jesus would have turned water into athletic greens. Drink AG would have got such swap. I'm dying. It's a good thing we're 67 minutes into the podcast. No, we should keep that one. Uh, So a 2020 study from the same group was titled Skeletal Muscle Transcriptonomic Comparison Between Long-Term Trained and Untrained Men and Women. And it's really cool to see. So this group has done genomics. They've done proteomics. And now they're doing transcriptomics. And transcriptomics essentially looks at the array of RNA. And so mRNA transcripts serves as a template for protein synthesis. Yes. And so you're, it's interesting because by doing tran- genomics and proteomics and trans- transcriptomics, you're essentially looking at that whole process of how you take genes and you go to proteins and essentially go to function. Perfect. You crushed that so much <laughs> yeah. that I literally have nothing you else tuned to out. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Arizona. <laughs> I was back on the 50 mile trails thinking that I too should leave Stanford. <laughs> um, so there are two major findings from this. The first was that no shit. Endurance training turns on way more genes and proteins. I love that based on what we've seen. And then here's a quote, long-term endurance training lessens gene expression differences between men and women. So in other words, there's convergence um, across the genders here, um, primarily in these mitochondrial genes that are just changing the way the body works. Again, so hopeful to me because 
you know, in my own experience, I was a football player. I was lifting really heavy weights and I thought that I could never be an endurance athlete, but maybe I could try. And so I, I tried, never thought my body would change in the fundamental ways it did. And it took a long time, but probably what I'm seeing is that essentially the types of genes and um, protein expression changes that happen made me more endurance focused. And it gives me hope even for the future, because the longer term you stay in the sport, the more crazy wild shit can happen at this level. And it can happen on a short time scale too. This was like six to 12 months of yeah. endurance exercise, which is relatively short. And it's inspiring to me because I've had some of these long layoffs yeah. from doing any activity due to some of the like myocarditis and pericarditis I've had in my heart. And it's like, oh, if I can get that back in six months, that's really cool. Or do you even lose it yeah. during that time period? I have so many questions about what happened happens when you're doing this endurance exercise, then you take a period of time off and then you get back to your endurance exercise. And my bet is that many of these gene expression adaptations that we're yeah. seeing, you probably persist. You know what I love with epigenetics? What? Here's the, the um, non-PhD description <laughs> that I always use to describe it to people. Um, because I've always theorized um, without any information, classic <laughs> mansplaining mode, that this is one of the primary things driving endurance adaptations that we see long-term. Mm -hmm. um, but we can't really measure it, so we don't. These studies are doing a great job, but we don't really even get down into the details. It's essentially switches. That as an athlete, you're trying to turn on as many of these endurance switches as you can. Just going down the line, switch, 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 switch. And you're motioning with your hand right now, and you're, just, you're like doing the switch motion, and it's, it's really great. Yeah, it looks like I'm, I'm tickling the underside. Uh-huh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, and, give me that pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, so you just want to turn on the switches. And so a good example that I was thinking of this morning is, let's say an athlete in pregnancy who's like, what's the point of going on the stair climber for 10 minutes, which is all he can do right now. It's all I, I, really want. I have faced that in pregnancy. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. The answer is switch. Yeah. Turn it on. Um, we don't know is the answer. So do it. And, and every little bit counts. That's why 10 minute runs count. Um, just getting out the door counts. I think that this study is incredibly hopeful in that aspect. Okay. I have something to thread the needle on our episode. Okay. Be a tough bitch to turn on switch. <gasps> Tough bitches, Tough bitches turn, turn on, on switches. switches. Holy, I love you so much. <laughs> yeah. no, I poetry. So I suck at poetry, but sometimes I can rhyme. <laughs> okay. Um, and now let's put this into the real world very, very quickly. Um, one of my favorite studies ever, we've mentioned it on here before, was a 2018 study in the journal European Journal of Applied Physiology called Muscle Health and Performance in Monozygotic Twins with 30 Years of Discordant Exercise Habits. 52-year-old um, twins, one was trained as a triathlete, one was untrained. The trained twin expressed 55% more type 1 slow twitch fibers, which goes against all of what people think in science. Which is bonkers. Yeah. And then what's even more bonkers is that twin also had a 12.4 milliliters per keg per minute greater VO2 max. So essentially 12.4 yeah. um, higher on VO2 max, which is high. Especially because the numbers themselves weren't that high. So yes. this is like 40% yeah. difference. Um, and so it points out well, maybe one of the drivers they're seeing in this study is epigenetic. It's not just the impacts of training. It's that one twin turned on the switches, one didn't. And actually, we we got a follow-up um, from the, that researcher at Western States this year that they're doing, the, the untrained twin has start tra started training. Which is so cool. So we'll get a lot more information in a future publication. We can't wait to tell you about that. Um, but- all he needs to do is turn on the switches. Yeah, so I know. Be interesting. I would love to have twins someday so we can just like turn on different switches <gasps> and study them. Okay. Also because we can have more babies. I don't want it another into, Yes. <laughs> no other kids. But if we have a twin, twins, so we can do scientific studies on them, they need to be monozygotic. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So they need to be uh, identical twins. If we, if you can promise me identical twins, I'll promise you 
hell yeah, because we can do studies. I'm so excited. Drink your athletic greens. You Get know, ready. Most, <laughs> most good parenting stems from an inquisition of research. <laughs> yeah. That's always what I've said. Um, okay. And then do you want to talk about the 2022 study or is it going a little too far on this topic? That's going too far, but let's go to the final study on twins okay. because I think this is actually, I didn't know this. There's a Netherlands twin register where they have twins and relatives signed up and it's this huge database with genetic information and all kinds of health information. And as a researcher, I'm like drooling. It's so cool to be able to do twin studies and then yeah. to have this twin database. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, really, really interesting to think about the types of studies that can be done um, like this one, because what it looked at was personality traits. Um, we really used a fascinating study design, which we're not going to get into, to look at heritability. And they found that there was a genetic contribution for exercise behavior of 50% in males and 43% in females. Um, which is really high, especially in the context of we're saying turn on switches. It might not be that easy because some people are facing a little bit of a headwind if some of these exercise habits are you know based on genetics too. So it's and not just can, as simple as doing it. And it's kind of, at first you might be saying there like, how are exercise habits based on genetics? But there's a lot of different theories that go into this. And a lot of it has actually been looked at in the literature of the idea that like some people produce different levels of endorphins yeah. from exercise. And you can see how that would change motivation. Also in this study, they looked at exercise attitude components and they found a genetic contribution to how we think about the attitude and behavior yeah. surrounding exercise. And you can even think about it too, in terms of like personality traits. Including embarrassment, it looks like. Yeah. So like if there can be personality traits that are genetic that might make you more prone to being embarrassed. And you can see yeah. how like that would feed into like predisposition to exercise. And I think it's cool when you start doing those, but it also makes me a little nervous because yeah. it's like, let's find causality. Like let's really under like twin studies are a great way to look at this, but I want more research. I, I get it. You always want more research. It makes research. me scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> um, but you know, I think this for me is just a final note of compassion is the way I like to frame this type of thing. Because let's let's tie to something that everyone experiences in one way or another, which is sex drive. Mm -hmm. My guess is if they did a twin study on this, I need to actually research if they have, that there's a large heritability component to that. To how bad you want to fuck a stop sign. Yeah, or not. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yes, exactly. Yes, and yeah. um, everyone is on really different frameworks for that. Like for me, for example, it, it might shock you with all these jokes on here. I would consider my sex drive relative to what other men talk about, if they're being honest, low actually yeah um and you know do you i think that relates to like your testosterone levels i mean it's always been lower I yes think. yeah like, you know and that doesn't it's not a bad thing like you know i got motion in the ocean <laughs> yeah um, but, you do great but, but the point just being like um you know i think sometimes people are like oh this is all a choice and yes maybe there are elements for me like maybe it is i train a little too hard sometimes <laughs> or whatever or i sit on that bike seat a little bit too long um but it's all more complicated than that. So even as you try to alter some of these switches, remember that um, you know some of it is you know not a choice whatsoever. And for those things, just give yourself lots of love because it probably touches everything, not just you know how you respond to exercise, but whether you want to exercise at all. Yeah, and I think for me, seeing Leo, our baby, has been impactful for that yeah, because so like true. his personality, he has this like fully baked in. I mean, not fully baked in, but like mostly baked in personality that's yeah. innate to him. And I have so much more compassion for myself. Yeah. I was like I was a wild kid. Yeah, and like thinking about myself, I had a hard time going to school. Uh -huh. I had a hard time. I was like mute in class, and I give myself like a lot more hugs for that. You've accomplished so much considering what I've heard about you as a baby. Oh, I was a nightmare. Yeah, I know. And every time I'm like, I feel like a little bit of like anxiety. 
anxiety or just like feel things that are like existential. I was like, I was a nightmare child. Yeah. I've come a long way. You're such a dream now. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a, I'm not a dream. You're a wet dream. But I'm not a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm somewhere between the two. You're a wet nightmare sometimes, <laughs> yeah. let's be honest. Um, do you actually want to talk about Leo or do you want to get into tech? Let's get uh, – we're – Almost at the end. Okay. I know. That's true. Oh. Maybe, maybe- Let's just talk about Leo and then we'll skip tech and perfect. get back to it next week. Because there's a lot of stuff I want to cover. There's tons of cool new tech coming out. We need to any of the news and fun things. I know. We have a lot ahead. Guess how many points we have. It's because we talked about proteomics. I told you. I was like, there's so many good things. People are going to love that discussion. Yeah. I th- it was interesting. Except actually. the part where you talk about science. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear I want to hear David mansplain <laughs> potential and switches. <laughs> so much more meaningful. Um, actually, very, very quickly before we get to hot takes and stories- uh, and, you know, we mentioned Leo on here a lot, our, our baby, uh, 14 months old, in such a way of like, you know, he's a ray of sunshine and all of that. He rolled over at two weeks. He's been so kind and nice. But you know what we did? We took him to a music class last week in Boulder, a group class. And we got a hint into maybe our child is going to be a little bit more difficult than we previously assumed. I think he's going to be like us because yeah. it was 5 p.m. on a Tuesday. And you know what? They made us do work in music <laughs> class. I was expecting to show up and there would be like songs yeah. and games and we could just kind of hang out. They were like, I don't know. They gave like all these packets to parents. Which it was beautiful. We didn't, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. We did not know the songs. No. We had to do work. We were like the people no in like a seventh grade dance that were on a totally different yeah. wavelength while everyone else was singing. And I felt very awkward for the first time in a long time in a group setting. I was like, yeah. I do not belong here. So maybe Leo sensed that, or maybe just Leo is starting to show his personality ingrained a little bit more. He crawled over to the door, pointed at it, and just made noises as if I want to leave and go outside. <laughs> to be fair, it was so beautiful outside. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was go outside. So I think he was just expressing our wishes. Yeah. But it was fun. It was, yeah. It was interesting in a lot of different ways. Also, you know, on the, like, to give yourself grace, he's been so advanced in everything, but he's just starting to walk more now, even though a lot of babies are walking before him. In fact, when we were in there, there was a 13-month-old right next to us who was like breakdancing. <laughs> yes. He's like ready to run the 100-meter dash, ready to compete in the Olympics. And Leo was there like, you know what? Fuck you. Leo was like looking at his ultra sign-up score and it was 2%. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I don't like comparison. I'm opting out of ultra sign-up. He also went for this phase where he just like wanted to eat shoes. Yeah. yeah. There was like this whole rack of shoes. And instead of playing music, he's like, I'm going to take all these shoes off the rack. So it was a- So we decided it wasn't for us. No more it's music gr- class it's for great. us. It's great. But you know what? We got a gift of music class. He got a cold. Yeah. Probably from hanging out with all these 15 snotty, snotty kids. We also got an email the next day that maybe music class isn't for us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's the first time we've been rejected it was, for something. It was something. a very kind email, but it was it like- was so, It's a great program. Oh, we it's want, an amazing program. We want everyone to do yes. it. We are just not musical. We are not clearly, musical. Leo is not either. Leo is clearly not cut out for group classes right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to keep him away from the Peloton or he's going to be kicked off that platform too. <laughs> okay. Wanted to share that just because- Parenting is a journey. Uglio is so delightful, but he's delightful in ways that are, uh, you know, complicated. Yeah. Well, he just wants to be outside. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to be free. He wants to be free. Yeah. I want to be free too. (laughs) Okay. Let's get on to some hot takes. Uh, First one. This isn't so much a hot take, but during the brutal winds on the front range today, I thought what a majorly missed opportunity Strava had. WAP. W-A-P. Ahem, wind-adjusted pace. I totally agree. Except, I don't know, every time I like check the weather on Strava, I feel like the conditions in my head are so epic. Yeah. And then I go to Strava and it's like wind three miles per hour. And I'm like, heck no, it was like 45 miles an hour out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, in contrast to that, 
when I ran yesterday, guess what Strava said the feels like temperature was? What? Negative 17. Okay. But that's feels like. Yeah. You had a great Strava title. Feels like is literally subjective by definition. Okay. This is my hot take. Wind chill is not temperature. And the only people that report wind chill are trying to make the temperature seem more epic. <laughs> you should just report temperature in Celsius at that point. Yeah. But, but I actually, I strongly hold this opinion very loosely, which is that feels like temperature is total bullshit that people just make up. Um, don't look at feels like you can go on temperature and you'll be fine as long as you're not like exposing your skin or whatever. It was really impressive that you were running yesterday. Thank you. You came in like every two miles looking like a snowman to thaw yourself out and then get it back out there. But then I got hand warmers, which is actually a good lesson. Oh, hand warmers are great. So yeah. if you're out there and the reason you can't run in cold is cold hands, which is what happens to me. Like um, I, if I got lobster gloves, like the ones with two openings, I'd be better, but I don't have those right now. Is Oh, we should get you some of those. I'll, yeah, I'll get you some. But hand warmers were great. So yeah. I just got some things that we used to like those little packets, put one in each glove and I was fine. And so um, for everyone out there, if you're in a cold weather climate, um, hand warmers are game changing and can be really basically let you run down to any temperature. Oh, and then another question we get a lot is how much does it affect lungs to run in those temperatures? Mm-hmm. Yes, and, be careful. Yeah. But the studies actually show that the, all the air is warmed up by the time you're, it's hitting your lung sacs, your air sacs. So you don't have to necessarily be worried about that unless you're part of a vulnerable subpopulation, whether due to asthma or age or something like that. So you don't have to be too worried about temperature usually um, for your lungs. But if you have some issue, make sure you're really um, paying attention to it for yourself. Okay. Well, we didn't research this or prepare this for the podcast, but I've actually seen, I think this is an area where the evidence is a little bit mixed Okay. because I've seen some other studies that show dangers below like three degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So what? just be careful. I know. I think below, for me, like below 10 degrees, I always wear a buff over my face. How does that make sense? I think it makes sense. Like, I mean, you see, that's the thing. Were we supposed to run 45 miles in no, you know, three degrees? exist in those temperatures. Yeah, but there's a big difference between running, going out and running 12 miles and existing. I don't know. We need to do Z1. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, on to the next one. Um, oh, this is one for me. Wind chill is a hoax. Yeah. So did you leave that there. Did you create that hot take or did someone send that in? I put that in. You put that in? Yeah. Was it the first time you've ever put a hot take in? It is. I'm proud of you. It was really important to you. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Which one do we want to read? Let's do... Let's do this story to end. Okay, great. It's and really then, inspiring. then we'll get to Listener Corner. Yeah. Great. I want to complete a through hike, maybe more than one. I'm afraid I'll wait until I'm too old. This dream got planted when I was a kid and I got a book from a library sale and it's never died. So why don't I just go do it? Because there are other big things I want to do with my life too. I'm actively doing those things. I can't help but wonder if it isn't a little bit of a grass is always greener syndrome combined with impatience. I've been a planner for my whole life which I'm sure has given any gods a good laugh. I have a plan to do it with an approximate date. Oh, yeah. But that isn't anytime soon. And in the meantime, I get reminders that life and mobility is finite. The goal of through hiking, more than any other, keeps bubbling up when I have these feelings. Fortunately, I do not have my heart set on a through hike by anyone's definition but my own. This offers a lot more flexibility to accommodate what my body might be capable of when that time comes. But if I couldn't do it at all, I think it would that would be a regret I would have about my life. And ultimately, that is my secret. That's beautiful. I love the idea, actually. I've seen a lot of people do different versions of through hikes. Yeah, what do you mean? Um, so you can like chunk them up. So like say you want to do like the Colorado Trail, like yeah. you can do it in chunks. So like take a few days, do it, go back home, work, like live yeah. existence, and then go back and do it. And I feel like that still totally counts as maybe maybe it's not necessarily by definition a through hike, but it's a through hike in my heart. Yeah, so it counts. Yeah, what I messaged them on Patreon was to do shorter, like do this year, right now a three-day hike. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, That's a through hike in accounts and it also help your brain 
contextualize these feelings in a way that will be best for you. I think often in life, the things that we don't experience can be put on a pedestal that ends up becoming almost insurmountable. Mm -hmm. Maybe a good example is, um, you know, people that are virgins until later in life. Mm -hmm. Like if you ever read about some of their experiences, essentially they feel like they got left behind at, usually it starts at like 15. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I know people have done this and then they think they're behind. And so, you know, then they think they're behind, they think they're behind. So they never do the thing because they're scared that they're behind and that they don't have the experience and they're going to let themselves down or whatever. And the point is, well, if you can just do the thing, who knows what happens next? Like do the through hike, do the, you know, in, in that situation, if you're a virgin, tell people, they'll be comfortable with it. They'll let, they'll give you love and comfort because this is a shared human experience. We all have something that's almost just like that, um, that, you know, we've let become this big obstacle in our head, but in reality, it's just a really small thing that humans are programmed to do. Well, actually, that reminds me. So in the book I'm reading right now, Hell Beautiful, it's yeah. a great book. There's a mantra that one of the character has of no bullshit, no secrets. Ah. And I feel like that applies to this. And it's like, you know, whatever you have, let it free. Yeah. Even that's even if that's a through hike. Have you ever thought about doing a through hike? Um, no. Yeah, I feel like that's the difference between <laughs> you and I. I would love to do a through hike. No, you know. Like, I read Bill Bryson, A Walk uh-huh. in a Wood, Walk in the Woods, when I was younger. And I was like, I want to do it. You read that and wanted to do it? Yeah. I was like, Actually, no. I read Brill Bryson's other book, uh, Brief History of Nearly Everything or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, I actually want to be inside watching shows about the cosmos, <laughs> yeah. not being in nature away from the internet where I can't learn any of those things. Well, as a kid, I read My Side of the Mountain, yeah. which was like a book about a kid that lived in a tree and mm-hmm. I really wanted to live in a tree. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's still time, Megan. There's still time. I know. Live I, in a tree for three days. I wanted a hammock because the kid slept in the hammock and my parents were like, nope. Didn't he kill small animals with like a little trap in that? I know he did. Do you want to kill small animals with this little trap? No, but I, he did exist. He had to exist. You know what we should do? What? Make a trap to catch Leo. <laughs> Why would we do Not that? Not kill him, but like ha- just to practice in case we're ever in the woods. Because like he is much probably intellectually, he's not that different from a field mouse <laughs> yeah, at the moment. That is so true. We could we could catch our meat, but not not kill it, but just like capture it. We should absolutely not do that. We have a, we could create like a big ball pit that he could fall into and laugh about. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Megan vetoing my brilliant parenting ideas. All right, on to listener corner. Um, before we do that. Brief promo for John G. They make the best gear. They have been so good for winter. When I was out yesterday, it was negative six in actual temperature. Um, and it was snowing at the time. What was the real feel? Negative 17, as I said. Yes, yep, yep. And the, as I said. <laughs> yeah. just, You're like, I just need to remind you again. It was negative 17. I just need to remind you that I said it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, bitch. Um, but I was just wearing John G on top, John G on bottom, just a shirt and a jacket um, pants and a pair of long, um, long tights underneath. And I was toasty, even though I run cold, um, points out that John G's winter gear is badass. So J A N J I.com. Their use code swap SWP for 15% off. They're a great company. Their stuff lasts forever. All right. And on to listener corner. And actually I'm going to read this one because you tried a few times and it was hard, which yeah. I get reading is really hard. I think this is going to be the only edit in the podcast so far. And it's me stumbling over words of this beautiful message and now you're going to screw it up for our listeners, and then we're going to have to do it again. I probably will. Reading is hard. Okay, here's my take. Let's see if we can do it. I want I want to first start by thanking you for all the positive energy and kindness you bring to this world. I discovered the Swap Podcast during a dark period in my life, and there were times when the only belly laugh that I would get each week was from listening to your podcast. Reflecting on this at the time was both difficult, knowing there was such little joy in my life, but also heartening and that I knew love and joy and laughter were still there for me. While I still battle mental health struggles, I have come a long way, and your amazing example each week helps immensely. I am so grateful for everything you two and the SWAT podcast have given me. 
Beyond my mental health, you two have also aided my running immensely. When I got into ultra running in 2015, I thought that I just needed to run further and further and get used to the pain and suffering associated with long and slow efforts. My speed eroded and I was constantly battling overuse injuries because my form was terrible as I slogged through miles. I had convinced myself that my body was, quote, just not built for big mileage weeks. But since listening to your podcast, I slowly began integrating your philosophy of a focus on short, speedy intervals and hill strides, along with lots of slow Z1 and Z2 in a five-zone model. <laughs> I love the asterisk to five-zone model. That's great. My weekly base mileage is now consistently at what I thought was my peak, and I am just getting faster and faster. Last July, I did my first 100K, and I finished hours before my A goal, and I attribute most of my growth to listening to you two. How beautiful is that? That is so heartwarming. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it's very interesting to see them you know, reflecting – at, on this, um, as they're going through it, mm -hmm. you know, when they're in the low points, they're like, you know, those belly laughs almost brought up the feelings that they weren't belly laughing at other times. Mm -hmm. And that is so, such a beautiful description of anxiety. Like often when I have anxiety, it'll be like, oh, this is good. But you know what that reminds you of those things that aren't good. <laughs> those worst case scenario th thoughts that you have and everything like that. And so, I mean, I identify with this so much and it's just such an honor to have this listener along on the journey. Yeah. And congrats on shredding it. First 100K, that's a big deal. Yeah. And crushing the training overall. I mean, you know, faster than ever because they've done strides, turning on those switches. Oh yeah. Switch, 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 switch. Tough bitch with a tough switch. <laughs> um, but you know, most of all, when we read something like this, it's like so meaningful just because like everyone out there, you're on your own mental health journey, even if it's mostly been kind to you at this point. And try to give yourself love and grace because, you know, you're when you're in the dark forest, it can be so intimidating. But even when you're out of it, it can be scary to know that it's there. Oh, yeah. The existence of the dark forest yeah. is horrifying. Yeah. I feel like the dark forest in general. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Sometimes there's cool animals in there. Yeah. Hopefully not a, not a lot of Leo traps. <laughs> I hope that's what we can be for you all is like a vibes-based thing. So every week, you know, when you're in the dark forest and when you're not – uh, we give you either a laugh or a chuckle or at least just two people making jokes and enjoying each other's company. Or a monkey facepalm emoji. They're like, what are yeah. they doing? That's awkward. And we're always here for you. Um, message anytime about anything. And you know, we'll try to give you a little bit of a tailwind in the in that process. You're the best tailwind and ocean <laughs> and boat. <laughs> and that motion in the ocean reserved for each other, but also stop sign, <laughs> yeah. Ryan Gosling. Go. Drew Holman. I'm so glad you included Drew. <laughs> Got, to. <laughs> Got to. We love you all. Woohoo! Huzzah!